you please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9? We've been asking the question, what if, these past few Sundays? What if we humble ourselves and seek God's face and pray and turn from our wicked ways? What if we seek God first in our lives in our families, in our places of work, as a church? What if we set our hearts on heavenly treasures and fix our eyes on Jesus and served God alone as our Master? What if we didn't chase after things the pagans chase after, but instead we sought first God's kingdom and His righteousness? What if? What if we don't just say that our purpose is loving God, loving people, and making disciples of Jesus? What if instead we actually lived our lives as if our purpose was loving God, loving people, and making disciples of Jesus? What if that was the basis of every decision we made as a church? Every dollar we spent? What if that was the focus of every worship service and Bible study and mission project? What if that was the basis of each of our daily lives, decisions, and relationships? What if we answered Jesus' call to walk with Him, to follow Him daily as His disciples. To begin to answer that what-if question, we really need to first consider what it meant to be a disciple in Jesus' day. If you're going to be the disciple of a rabbi, that meant you were a gifted student of the Torah. You knew the Old Testament law backwards and forwards. And you were encouraged then to go and to seek out a rabbi. To find a rabbi whose interpretation of the Torah lined up with yours. And and you were sort of an application process. And if you were accepted, then wonderful. You became his disciple. That meant that you were intelligent. You were capable. It was an honor. It was was like getting a degree. It was like getting accepted to a prestigious university at the very least. And then you would travel with this rabbi during his season of teaching. It wasn't all year. He'd have a season of teaching where he'd go and he'd kind of make the circuit, you know, like like, like going on a tour like rock bands do today. They'd go on a tour and you would kind of be like a groupie. And you would go along with him everywhere he went to teach. You listened to everything he said. You memorized and internalized those teachings in order to make them your own because perhaps someday you too might become a rabbi following in his tradition. Now, Jesus did things a little differently. Jesus didn't wait for people to come seek Him out. In fact, as we'll read a little bit later on this morning, whenever people did come to seek Jesus out, He discouraged them. He he kind of turned them away. He tried to say, hey, you don't want to do that. It's going to be a hard life. Instead, Jesus went out looking for disciples. He found other people and said to them, you follow me. Jesus did it backwards. And Jesus didn't go to the people who were the experts in the Torah. He didn't go to the most intelligent, the brightest, the most socially connected people. No, He went to the rabble, to the outcasts, to the uh, untouchables. I mean, Jesus went after fishermen and tax collectors and hotheads and even a zealot. And Jesus didn't just teach for a season. He intended for His disciples to be with Him 24-7, going everywhere He went, 365 days a year. When Jesus slept, they slept. When Jesus ate, 
They ate. When Jesus stopped, they stopped. When Jesus went, they went. And they followed behind him everywhere he went. In fact, there was a well-known saying in Jesus' day that a disciple should learn from his rabbi by following him so closely he would be covered in the dust of his rabbi. And that's exactly what Jesus expected of his followers. In Luke 9, as we're going to read in a minute, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. That's literally what he means. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would walk behind me so closely as if to be covered in the dust off my feet, walking step by step with me. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus told his followers in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, a student, a disciple, is not above his teacher, his rabbi, but everyone who is trained will be like his teacher. Jesus desires for his disciples to become a little bit more like him every day. Paul says this in Romans 12 too, when he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We're to be transformed from who we are into being more like Jesus. And that word transform that Paul uses is the same Greek word we get the word metamorphosis from. And that means to be changed from one form to another. To go from being a worm to being a butterfly. To go from being uh, somebody that, that isn't as we should be. And Jesus accepts us. He welcomes us as we are. But we know we are not as we ought to be. We are like the worms. And it's through that process of discipleship that we are transformed into something new and beautiful and full of life. And why in the world would a butterfly ever want to go back to being a worm? Right? And why would someone who's being transformed by God's Spirit into the image of Christ ever want to conform to the patterns of this world ever again? Right? Why would any vine that is bearing fruit want to become separated from its branch? From, I mean, why would any branch want to be separated from its vine? Because if you did, you wouldn't be able to bear fruit and you'd be useless and you'd be cast into the fire. Jesus compares our relationship to Him, our discipleship in those very terms in John chapter 15. He says, Abide in Me and I will abide in you because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So why would we want to be apart from him? What if you followed Jesus so closely, you were covered in the dust of his feet? What if you allowed his spirit to transform you into His likeness? What if you lived so closely with Jesus that you would bear the fruit of His Spirit in your life? This is the essence of the Christian life. This is why we are saved. You were called to be Jesus' disciple, His apprentice. That's what a disciple was. It was an, an apprentice. Now, think about that word apprentice. An apprentice learns by living with and working with a master craftsman. Someone who is a master at what they do. 
And they teach them daily through hands-on experience. You're not sitting in a classroom, not reading a textbook. You're learning by watching and by doing. Jesus is the master craftsman of life. He knows better than anyone else how to live life to the fullest. Jesus is the only human being to ever live to be fully human the way God intended it to be. Jesus is the one who can help us live an abundant life. And so if you really want to know how to live well, then you should be Jesus' apprentice because He alone can teach you. You should want to follow Him and watch Him and learn at His side how to do life. That's what a Christian is. What is a Christian? A Christian who is someone who is following Jesus so that he can learn or she can learn how to live. That's what we're learning how to do. And how exactly do we do that? Well, Jesus spells it out in Luke 9.23. Look with me. Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me as my disciple, is what he's saying, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There are three elements here that if we incorporate them into our lives every day, we will be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. We will learn how to live life better than anyone else. What if I followed Jesus fully? That's the question this morning. And if I did, the first thing is, I must deny myself. That's the first thing I must do to follow Jesus fully. Now that Greek word deny means to say no to, to disregard to pay no attention to, to refuse to give thought to. Now, let's be real. We tend to think about ourselves a whole lot, don't we? We tend to regard ourselves and, and, and our thoughts and our opinions and our comforts and conveniences and wants far more than we should, don't we? We think of our time as our own. Our money is ours to do with as we please. We focus on our priorities, our agendas. And we as, as Americans, we have a hard time saying no to ourselves. We love to indulge. We love to spend. We love to eat. We love to go and do. To follow Jesus fully means the compass of my life points to Him far more than it points to me. It means that rather being consumed with my glory and my gain... I'm consumed with God's glory and the gain of His kingdom. That's what it means to deny myself. And why would anyone ever do this? Why would someone live their lives this way? Well, look at verse 24. Jesus says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Jesus is saying, If you really want to live, don't Try to grasp onto your life to save it or to enrich it. Rather, let it go. Release your grip. Quit struggling. And if you do, you'll find that you've got that real, abundant, eternal life. You don't have to grasp for it. This goes back to last week's message we looked at from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus warned us about not setting our hearts on earthly treasures. They're going to rust and fade away and be stolen from us. What good is it to have everything in the world? What good is it to have all of these things that are fading away if it means that we forsake what's eternal? That's foolishness by its very definition. 
Paul said it this way in Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Hebrews 11 describes what this looks like. We, we heard that great passage this morning in our New Testament reading. And what that passage is describing is these Old Testament saints, these heroes of the faith, these men and these women who, who understood this world was not their home. Even before Christ came, they were already setting their minds on things above, not on earthly things. And if we are to be like them, if we are to live as if this world is not our home, what difference does that make in our decisions, in our priorities? Why would we ever forsake what is everlasting for what is temporary? Yet how often do we do this? How often do churches do this? Church members and leaders and pastors, when we get hung up on ministry fads, on the latest program or event, we, we get hung up on church decor, on particular worship styles and songs, on certain technologies. Guess what? All those things are fading. Every one of those things will someday pass away. Every one of them. What are eternal are the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. That's what's everlasting. Church, we need to get better at denying ourselves. We need to be willing to accept change when it's necessary. And notice I said when it's necessary. I'm never a proponent for change, just for change's sake. But sometimes when the vehicles that we use to communicate the gospel to people, when those vehicles begin to break down and become more of a hindrance than a help, then guess what? It's time to make a change. Because what matters is getting the gospel to people, not how we get it to them. We also need to deny ourselves when it comes to taking the opportunities God gives us to be a part of His work around us. You know, we spent a month looking at Jonah. Remember, Jonah was unwilling to deny himself and take up his cross and follow God in obedience. God had to get His attention. He had to humble him. He had to get him turned around on the right path. How many of us are guilty of the same when it comes to having a gospel conversation with someone? We're studying God's Word. We're praying, giving, serving. We need to deny ourselves. We need to say no to me so that we can say yes to working in the nursery, being a greeter, serving as a deacon or on a committee, doing a trunk for trunk or treat, helping with upper basketball, writing an Advent devotional. Because we need to remember that this church and our life, guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me. This isn't about us. Or as Paul says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. And because we live in a sinful, fallen world and our sinful nature is always going to be at war with God's Spirit working in us. We have to daily renew that decision to be crucified with Christ, to die to the temptations and the worldly priorities uh, and, and, and live unto Christ. That's a daily decision, not just a one-time walk the aisle and shake the preacher's hand decision. It's daily. I must die to myself every day if I'm going to follow Jesus fully, which brings us to the second element. Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. 
And, and listen, that is the key word in this verse. Daily. Say that word with me. Daily. How often do I have to deny myself and take up my cross? Daily. It's something I must do not just on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or at a youth camp or vacation Bible school. It's something I must do every day. Denying myself means saying no to me. That's not enough. The second part is taking up my cross. It's saying yes to Jesus. Because if I just go through my life denying myself, if I'm just going to live the kind of life where I just, no, I'm just going to deny myself, I'm just going to say no, I can't do that. If it's, if it's something I want to do, something I, live, I love to do, I'm just going to deny it, you know, as if I'm somehow punishing myself. If I do that, guess what? I just have created a void in my life that's going to be hungering and thirsting to be filled. And Jesus talks about this. He talks about the, the illustration of the, of, of the demons being cast out of the man and he sweeps up the house and all this stuff, but they, they come back sevenfold and he's worse off than he was before. If I'm just denying myself and I'm not filling myself up with the Spirit of God, if I'm not opening up myself to Him to fill me with His Word and with the Spirit and with His love, and if I'm not living for His mission and His purpose, then guess what? All those struggles, all those temptations, all that fleshly, worldly desire is going to come rushing back in, Right? We try to quit bad habits, but then we don't replace them with good habits. We deny ourselves, but then we take up our cross daily. Anytime we want to dedicate our lives to something, we have to say no to things, don't we? Okay, if you want to learn how to play the piano, okay, that means you've got to do what every day? Practice. And that means you've got to take time away from something else to practice. If you want to be an expert at anything, at any knowledge, at any skill, you want to be a master woodworker, you want to be a master gardener, you want to become the greatest you know, hunter that ever lived, and you've got to spend time doing that, don't you? You've got to say no to other things so that you can say yes to those things you want to become great at. And the same is true of learning from Jesus how to master living. To be Jesus' apprentice means that we deny ourselves. We say no to those things that would hinder our apprenticeship, that would get in the way, and we say yes to the daily work of following Jesus and learning from Him. That's exactly what Ben was illustrating with that children's sermon. You can't fill the cup full of rice and then try to wedge in the golf balls. It doesn't work that way. You've got to make the time. You've got to put the big rocks in first. You've got to put the golf balls in first. What does this mean to take up the cross? You know, we, we often misuse that phrase. We think, you know, I've got a cross to bear. You know, she's my cross to bear. I'm not talking about Julia or Abby. Like that. I just said she. He's my cross to bear. That's, that's my, I'm bearing that cross, that burden. We say it as if it's something that's, a, that's just a negative in our lives. That's not what this phrase means. It couldn't be further from that. Look at verses 25 and 26. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The cross that we carry isn't anything to be ashamed of. It's not something that we put up with. 
It's a means to gain that which truly matters. And that is identifying with Jesus Christ in both His suffering and in His glory. Yes, the cross is a symbolism of suffering and shame and sacrifice. It's a symbol of surrender and submission. But guess what? In the kingdom of God, sacrifice and surrender and submission are the ultimate expressions and values of love and obedience and trust. The kingdom of God turns those things upside down. They are actually virtues. They are things for us to seek. We are to daily offer ourselves in sacrificial service, in humble obedience. Yes, the cross was God's instrument to bring reconciliation to the world. And so when we take up our cross, we are taking up the call to be agents of, of reconciliation. We're to be a part of God's redemptive work in the world. We're taking up His mission because we're saying, I'm not living for myself. I'm not working for myself. But it's for the sake of a world that is lost and that is doomed unless they come to faith in Christ. And so when I deny myself and I take up my cross, it's for the purpose of bearing the good news to those who need to hear it. It's for the purpose of building the kingdom of God, of growing His church by sharing the gospel with individuals, by making disciples from all generations and all ethnicities. And the more we do that, the more we carry out Jesus' mission as His hands and His feet and His mouth, the more we become like Him. We begin to talk like Jesus. We begin to heal the broken like Jesus. We begin to feed the hungry like Jesus. We clothe the naked like Jesus. We extend mercy and forgiveness like Jesus. We teach about the kingdom of God like Jesus. But it also means we're going to be hated and reviled by the powers that be like Jesus. It means that we're going to be misunderstood by an intolerant world like Jesus. It means we may even be persecuted or killed like Jesus. That's why, once again, Jesus, like a bookend, goes back to who we are and what we're about. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross daily, and we follow Him. We follow Jesus. Now, we all in this room follow someone, everybody. And especially in a day and age of social media, we're always friending and following all kinds of people in groups, right? On Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We're all following people because we want to see what they think. We want to see what they're up to. We want to see where they're going and who they're with. We're interested. We want to know. Who are you following? Really, who are you following? Not just on social media, but just in the media. You know, we've got athletes, we've got musicians, we've got famous celebrity type people that we follow and we're interested in their lives. We've got particular political pundits we might like to listen to, podcasts and whatnot. Who are you following? Whose life are you watching? Who are you allowing to influence your thoughts, your beliefs, your passions? Who is shaping your character and your conduct? Who are you really apprenticing life under? Is it Jesus? Or is it the world? This is why it's so important for us to surround ourselves with church family, to sit under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. It's why we have to study Scripture and hide it in our heart that we might not sin against God 
so that we can rightly divide the word of truth and discern between Satan's lies and God's truth because we can become so easily deceived, can't we? So easily led off on the wrong path all the while thinking that we're following Jesus. And what is that path? What is that path that we're following Jesus down? Look at verse 51. As the time approached for Him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The path that Jesus was on, that He had His face resolutely set on, was the path to the cross. And nothing would stop Him from His mission. And if Jesus is our Lord, then our faces must also be resolutely set on the cross. That is where we're going That is where we're following Him, wherever He leads, even if it means the cross. Jesus' words here are radical. I know, they make us squirm, don't they? Jesus is saying, I want to be number one in your lives. And, And that doesn't just mean that He's ranked higher than the sins. That means that He's ranked higher than even the good things in our lives. He wants to be first. It's easy to choose Jesus over Satan most of the time. I say most of the time. But it's hard to choose them over family and friends and career and hobbies and comforts. Luke 9 concludes with Jesus' encountering three men for whom the cost of following Jesus was too high. These men were not willing to follow Jesus fully. And as we prepare our hearts and minds to come to this Lord's table in a few moments... I want you to consider which of these men you are most like. The first man, we see, would not deny himself. In verse 57 and 58, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This man was too accustomed to a life of comfort. Matthew's Gospel tells us that he was a teacher of the law, which means he was a man of means and reputation. He enjoyed the comforts of life. And he would rather hold on to his position and his possessions than follow Jesus. What about us? What if we will not deny ourselves? What what happens? We forfeit our spiritual health and well-being. For the temporary gains of the world, things will not last. If we will not deny ourselves, then we will not follow wherever He leads. And we will miss out on so many blessings. The second man would not take up his cross. Look at verses 59 and 60. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This man was too worried about planning someone else's funeral to think about dying to himself. Jesus isn't saying here that we should dishonor our parents. Don't don't get me wrong here. But we can't let our love or obligation for our family weaken our commitment to Christ. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says that compared to our love for Him, our love for our family should be like hatred. That doesn't mean that we hate our family. That just says how much we are supposed to love Jesus. By comparison, it's as if we hated our family. But what we tend to do oftentimes is we elevate family above faith. And we hold on to family 
and to friends and to other people so tightly, we can't hold on to the cross. We turn family and friends into idols. We make our children, our spouses, and other important people in our lives, we make them the center of our lives and the focus of our attention. Parents who put their children and their activities and interests ahead of discipling them, you may think you're giving your kids all the things in the world. Guess what? Maybe you are giving your kids all the things in the world. But you know what you're not giving them? You're not giving them those treasures in heaven. In fact, parents, we have to be careful. We end up actually hindering our children's ability to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength because they don't see us doing the same. But when we carry our cross, when we understand that the best way to love and serve others is to help them to love and follow and serve Jesus, that's what it means to take up our cross. And the third man would not follow Jesus. Look at verses 61 and 62. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for service in the kingdom of God. You can't follow Jesus and look backwards, can you? The cross lies before us, not behind us. So we need to set our faces resolutely on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, and run the race that is set before us. Or as Paul said in Philippians 3, forget what is behind. Strain toward what is ahead. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. What excuses are you giving God this morning? I'm too busy right now to invest in other people's lives. I'm too old. I'm retired. Let the younger people do it. Or conversely, I'm too young. I've got kids at home. I'm too busy right now. Let the older people do it. Guess what? When both of those are saying, let, let others do it, guess who's doing it? Nobody. Maybe your excuse is, I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I have too many issues of my own. I'll get involved once I get my life together. I hate to tell you this. But Jesus' commands don't come with exception clauses. When Jesus says, follow me, He's not saying, follow me unless you're too busy. Follow me unless you have five kids at home. He doesn't call us to love our neighbors unless you just don't feel prepared enough to talk to them. He simply says, follow me, period. No qualifiers. No loopholes. No exceptions. What if we deny ourselves? Let your imagination run wild. What if we take up our cross daily? What if we follow Jesus fully in our lives, in our families, with our friends, in our church, in our community? Guess what? There's only one way to find out the answer to that question. And that's to do it. Do it. Follow Jesus Fully. If Matthew and Paul and Andrew and James and John could do it, if Doubting Thomas could do it, if I could do it, anybody could do it. Let's follow Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, as we approach this table, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to approach it with a spirit of self denial with an attitude 
that doesn't say, let someone else do it, but an attitude that says, where's my cross, Lord? Let me carry it. May we approach this table with our faces set resolutely on You, that we would follow You wherever You lead. May that be true of me. May that be true of every person in this room. May that be true of our church. God, there may be people right now that You're calling in specific ways to deny themselves. You're calling them to pick up specific crosses and to follow You down a specific path. Maybe it's to profess their faith in Christ for the first time. Maybe it's to finally be obedient and follow You in believer's baptism. Maybe it's to unite with this church. Maybe it's to forgive someone they've been bitter toward. Maybe it's to tithe. Or to give above and beyond that because they know that's what your Spirit is leading them to do. Maybe it is to be a part of an event, something that's coming up. Maybe it's someone at work or at home or a friend they know they need to share Jesus with. God, whatever it is, I pray you'd be obedient right here and right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come as the Spirit of God.